Okay. We've got away from the book of Romans the last two times. And uh, we're going to get there tonight, Romans chapter 4. So you didn't miss too much there. But before we go there, uh, you may, if you brought your Bible, you may want to look it up. I do want to say a word about Israel because things continue to happen. And it's on our minds. It's on our heart. And I think we, it's good that we keep these things before us. What I want to point out very briefly is Israel has always had enemies. They've always been hated. Now, I want to share with you just a little bit of biblical proof rather than what you get out of the news media or the history book or Google because it's in the Bible. For your own reading, you can go to the book of Joshua and start in chapter 1 and go to the end. God raised up Joshua after Moses basically said, go get the land and go get them. They're enemies. Hundreds of years passed and Israel's enemies multiplied until finally you run into the prophet Amos. And God says He'd had enough. In chapter 1 and in chapter 2, God reveals through His Spirit examples of judgment on Israel's enemies. Now, I don't remember how many of those enemies are listed, but at least 12 or 15. And I want to briefly mention just one or two. And these are all in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's easy reading. It begins with, the lion roars from lion uh, from Zion. When the lion roars, that's not just a voice in the wilderness. Think of a lion roaring. God means business. He uses the term for three transgressions, yea for four. God said, I'm through of counting. You can make your own list. There's so many. So He just uses that term. For three, four, you just count as far as you want to. And here's the first one. For the transgressions of Damascus. And who is Damascus? Syria. Nothing has changed, has it? For four, I will not revoke the punishment. What did they do? Because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So what does that mean? The people of Damascus with sharpened razor iron would lay Israeli victims down alive and plow their bodies into the fields. Animals don't even do that. Only monsters. Only demons. In verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, for the most part, that would be modern day Jordan. 
For four, I will not revoke their punishment. What did they do? Because they ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their borders. Now regarding the events in Israel, I'm telling you the gates of hell have opened. The demons have captured the hearts and the minds of those who do not know Jehovah God. I mean, the horrors that are being revealed from reliable sources can only originate from the very depths of evil. There's videos out. They're not mistaken. There's a video of a child and a father tied together and burned alive. And another, Hamas pulled out the eye of a man. He cut off the breast of the man's wife. He chopped off the foot of the man's daughter and cut off the finger of the man's son. And then while the family is in agony and in bleeding, the Hamas terrorists made themselves a meal of the family's food and ate it in front of them. Only demons can do that. So only after dinner did the terrorists decide to kill the family. You've read about the stories of Hamas decapitating babies. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't need to read or hear any more to know the depravity of man. And personally, I take comfort in the doctrine of hell. Now, Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we're going to be looking tonight at verses 1 through 12. And we'll read it here in a moment. I want to tell you what it's about. Paul is going to give us, offer us two examples of justification. If you can remember back to chapter 3, he illustrated how that a man is justified by faith apart from works, the works of the law. That was chapter 3 and verse 28. In chapter 4, he illustrates how faith justifies a man. So, how does he do that? The Spirit of God selects two men of Jewish history to illustrate how these were made righteous before God. He picks one before the law. That was Abraham. Abraham is looked upon as the father of the Jewish race, the pattern of all that men should be. And Abraham is chosen to show the Jew that justification by faith is as old as the Jewish race. The passage that we're going to read will show that God chose Abraham to be the ancestor of His special people because he completely trusted God and he took God at His word. So Abraham was before the law, then under the law. Well, he selects David. David was Israel's most illustrious king. 
He also confirms that a man is justified by faith. There's a quotation there from one of the Psalms. It explains that God can justify a man who is guilty. And no doubt David came to discover this great truth out of his own sin. So chapter 4 that we're going to look at considers two examples of faith righteousness. So I'll get the Bible here and we'll read the first 12 verses. I'm reading from the King James. Again, because of the larger print. Not because it's my... Well, what shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, it's reckoned as a debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness or for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin." Cometh the blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision, or in uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, How then was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Well, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Okay. So, number one, Abraham. He's the one with whom the nation began. How was he justified? Very simply, by faith. It states that in verses 1 through 4. It also says that he was not justified by works in verse 2 and in verse 4. Works is when we do something. It's when we accomplish something. It's when we carry out something. Works is always a form of obedience. And works are forms of obedience are not a source of a man being justified. 
It states that right there in verse 2. What are works? Well, he states what they are in verse 2. They're a source of boasting. Look what I've done. Look what I have achieved. They're a sign of self-righteous pride. Works are according to an obligation. Something I owe. Well, if it's something I have to do or something I owe, then it is not of grace. That's verse 4. See, God is not going to be obligated to any man. Works, thus, and grace do not go together. Verse 4. Works could never be the basis upon which God could justify the sinner, the ungodly. As long as, long as a person works for his salvation, guess what? He'll not receive it. That's verse 5. The justified man, we realized in chapter 3, is acquitted. He is, he is made justified. Justification is a divine act of God based upon His grace. Only God can justify the sinner. Thus, not something we do. For instance, baptism does not justify an, in, uh, an individual. We're not saying that obedience is not important in the Christian walk. It is very important, but it's not what justifies us. Nor could one make the argument that God justifies when we obey and are baptized. That is man earning or doing something to be saved. So look at verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned, reckoned means placed to his account, as righteousness. So often the question will come up, well, James says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You've probably heard that argument, haven't you? We all have. Works, acts, form of obedience that are important in our walk with God is our walking in newness of life as we describe it. They're all evidence before men of the faith that we have that has justified us. See, James insists that Abraham's faith was brought to completion as a result of his works. That's in his book, chapter 2 and verse 22. It was faith that produced the works, not his works that produced his faith. So God's work, or God's work and grace begin at the point of faith. And it brings forth his righteousness in an unrighteous man. Righteousness by grace makes man indebted to God and forever thankful. So faith was the basis upon which God counted, that's a very important word, Abraham righteous. That you see in verse 3 and repeat it again in verse 9. When God counted him righteous, that means to reckon it. 
to calculate it, to take it into account, to credit to one's account, to impute something. The word appears 41 times in the New Testament. It also appears 11 times here in chapter 4. In the ancient writings, the word reckon or impute was used for settling up an account. They entered something on the record, basically saying paid in full. So God is the one who put righteousness on Abraham's account. Verse 3, faith is not righteousness. It's through faith that righteousness is reckoned in verse 3. Faith and grace go together to receive God's provision. So righteousness is a gift from God for faith to take. God justifies the ungodly on the basis of His faith. That's verse 5. So one's faith is reckoned as righteousness. In Abraham's case, when God saw his faith in response to the promise that God had given him, God at that moment reckoned it to his account as righteousness. So when was Abraham reckoned righteous or justified? That's verses 9 through 12. How then was it reckoned? The question's asked in verse 10. How then was it reckoned? How was it placed to his account? While he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? So in the religious sense, it's significant to see that circumcision was a seal of the covenant. Circumcision was only a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was uncircumcised, as stated in verse 11. So is not the sealing of the Holy Spirit to Christians a sign of the faith of the believer even today? Certainly. It's a sign that we've been made righteous, that we belong to God. So Abraham became the father of circumcision, verse 12, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who follow in the faith of Abraham. The faith that justified Abraham came before circumcision. The sign of righteousness, of being made righteous, came 14 years later. And surprisingly, many in the church do not know that. The sign didn't come until 14 years later. The time of justification came at the point of faith, not at the point of circumcision. So the Jew, and that's his audience here, the Jew must have the faith of Abraham before circumcision in order to experience the righteousness that has been reckoned to him. Then in the second example, David. <clears throat> David, the greatest king of the nation. He likewise was justified by faith. Verse 6 and verse 8. 
David also speaks. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. You see that in verse 7? That was an announcement of his justification. When one's sins have been forgiven, they've been let go of. They've been sent away. They have been counseled. Canceled. They have been remitted. They've been released. They are forgiven. See, the idea has the idea of forgiving a debt that is owed. It's to release him or the individual of what they owe. Judicially, it happened at the cross because you remember Jesus is both the sin bearer and He was also the sin offering. That was proven by His resurrection. Experientially, for you and I, we receive it by faith. Only God can forgive sin. Lawlessness, us doing the things against the will of God, are the things which are against God. And the act of putting away or canceling or remitting the deeds of lawlessness is called justification. So justification deals with the lawless. God is the one Himself who blots out, who cancels all that one has committed and places them before Him as righteous. It's not how you feel. As mentioned last time we looked at Romans, it's a divine act of God. It's something He does. And then He doesn't ask, well, how do you feel about that? Or is that working? So only God can cover sins that, uh, where there is no remittance. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those whose sins have been covered. You know, man's always tried to cover his sins, hadn't he? I mean, from the very beginning. beginning. Adam, where are you? Anywhere around? Well, we usually walk in the cool of the evening. Oh, I'm hiding out. I don't know when I breathe, I move my place. I know what I'm going to say, I just want to say it correctly. Remember Cain? God comes around and says, I smell blood. I don't know where it came from. I'm not my brother's keeper. See, we always try to cover our sins. I know I always did. It's always somebody else's fault. Only God can cover sins so that there is no remembrance. You might recall, uh, I, I mentioned this, the ancient Jewish practice of the Day of Atonement regarding the scapegoat, which you read in Leviticus 16, 21 and 22. Remember the scapegoat was sent into the wilderness? Well, the scapegoat carried 
all of the iniquities of the people to a land that was not inhabited. So where did the goat go? The goat in the Hebrew went to the land of Gezerah. That's its actual Hebrew meaning. It means to cut off. It means to exclude. It means to destroy. So the scapegoat, wherever it went, it went to a land or a place uninhabited. A place where no one could go, no one could visit. You didn't go there to sightsee or vacation. You know, you didn't go there and spend the night. What's the teaching? My sins are cut off. They're severed. And no one, including me, can go to where they are. They're in a place where no one dwells and no one visits. They are as far as the east is from the west. Psalms 103 in verse 12. During the second temple period, the temple authorities made sure that the goat did not return with their sins. The wilderness was located five Sabbath days journeys. Three and three quarter miles. Now out here, we don't think anything about three and three quarter miles. But they did. That was from the city. Then it was pushed backwards over the cliff, fell to its death in a ravine below. So that's God covering sins. And that is God's way of justification. Happy is the man whose sins are covered. No more guilt. No more shame. No more condemnation. He is the justified man. Blessed is the man, verse 8, man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This is really strange, something new I learned. That phrase there, the Lord will not take the verb into account, actually is a double negative. It speaks of the impossibility of such a thing happening. No, not in any way is it possible for God to take one's sins into account. See, man has always tried to charge or blame somebody else for what he did. But Christ took our sins upon Himself. Therefore, man's sins are not placed to his account. Justification is taking sin from a man's account and putting down God's righteousness in its place. Every sin of man has Christ's name written upon it. So, as mentioned before, Jesus was both the sin and the sin offering, which was proven by His resurrection from the dead. He became sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, verse 8, Happy is the man who does not have sin reckoned unto him. And this is made possible to every believer. 
So David speaks of the justification when he speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. In verse 6, justification is the blessing bestowed by God on the guilty. David certainly himself stood guilty before God, guilty as a covetous man, a thief, a lying, adulterer, murderer. And he was forgiven and made righteous. The law offered no forgiveness. The law offered no sacrifice for these sins. The law, when Nathan the prophet shows up to David, the prophet charged him, David, thou art the man. What's that saying? You're guilty. You are guilty as charged. You're guilty on every count. And only God could release David and cover, cancel, blot out those sins. Only God could remove them from the, what was on his account of what he had done. So David became that blessed man who experienced justification under the law by God's grace. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Now, we looked at tonight how faith justifies. Next time we're going to look at the kind of faith justifies. Let's pray. My loving Lord Jesus, I'm just reminded of Your Word. Do not fear, for I have redeemed You. I have summoned You by name, and You are Mine. Lord, I'm so grateful to hear of the power of Your forgiveness no matter what I have done. I cry out to You and I declare my faith in Your name. Honestly, I'm just left speechless when I consider how You traded in my filthy rags and clothed me with Your beautiful robes of righteousness. Your unfailing love is as high as the heavens and Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You have delivered me from the hand of the enemy. You have redeemed me and declared You are mine. And tonight I gladly confess I am Yours. In the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, the shouting's over. <laughs>